everybody this morning. Let's all worship together. Sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Rise, joy. 
morning. Let's stand and let's worship the Lord here today. Welcome. Angels, we Shame 
was washed by your mercy. You are the treasure I find, my reason for living. So let my life become an offering to the one who is worthy. heaven, my King forever.
most high. Sing it. All praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ, high King of heaven, my King forever. God, we just praise you. We just want to lift you up, just like that song said. That, um, God, we just want to lay our life down for you. We just want to surrender to your will. So, Father, right now, during the season of Advent, we come to you, and we just want to praise the Lord Most High. You are our King of Heaven. And you, we, we pray that you'll come down, that you'll fill this place here today. We love you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. At this time, we're going to have our, uh, you can have a seat. We're going to have our Advent. And after the uh, Advent video, our kids can go ahead and head to um, our Haven Kids. The sons of earth toil under dark, rolling storms. The daughters of the land carry their own loads of strife. And out of the inky night, the shepherds guard the vulnerable that sit under their care and wait for dawn's helping hand. Then, without warning, a horizon is born, not from beneath the earth, but from heaven above, bending every knee that witnesses it, flooding hard hearts with wonders of light and love, striking fear and awe into the bravest soul. It blinds those who see. It gives sight to those who don't. The good news of great joy streams from the mouths of angels. He has been born, Christ the Lord. So leaving the only security they know, the shepherds flee their fields, the magi leave their homes, all toward the light of hope they'd heard of all their lives with zeal flowing through their veins. And look into the eyes of the author of light and life. They touch the fingers of the hand that formed them and watch the breath of God appear in the world he made. The earth once hunched with despair, lifts her head and receives her king. And the men who God chose to tell, run through Bethlehem and sound the joy, shout the wonders of his love to all who hear. Your eternal king is born.
Good morning. My king forever. Oh, you were supposed to repeat that. My king forever. That was a really nice song. I think it's one of the first times I've heard it. It was a great song. I'm just really excited about that. Um, we have some praises today. That angel tree was blessed. I mean blessed. 311 gifts were given out to the children and three bikes. Thank you, everybody who participated. Thank you. Um, also, um, I've got a lot of prayers today, so bear with me. The first one is for me because I have a kidney stone and it's ugly. So I'm grouchy and grumpy, but I'll be okay. Um, Hope fell this week and had to get stitches, so we're going to pray for her and use all that good creams to clear it all up by Christmas Eve, okay? It's all good. Um, Dale Ross, we are going to pray for his healing. Is it his back? His back, okay. Um, he's having some trouble with his back and can't, January's the closest surgery. So we're praying that he can uh, make it till then. Um, Liz, she's at home out there. I've talked to her a couple times this week, and we're praying for her health and her healing. Um, June's husband, Paul, and I see June's not here today, so let's keep that family all lifted in prayer. Um, and I wrote a note, hi, all on liners, because I always forget to do that. Shame on me. Um, and Jen Lagola is asking for prayers for Melissa's Uncle Jerry, Aunt Joyce, for the job interview for her tomorrow. Did I get that all right? Okay. I'm, I'm trying to get it right. Uh, Sue Campbell would like for us to lift Sean Williams, some very serious health problems. And we want to continue to lift Sue as she continues her treatments. And it's so good to see her here and see her smiling. Um, also, we'd like to lift, lift the Whiteman family. Um, they're having some job issues, and her husband's getting laid off. So let's keep that family in prayer and, and hope that they can find something new. Also, this is just a quick invite. Judy Music wanted to invite all the women to Dining with Women on December 29th. This is an event she has hosted for 20-something years, she told me. Um, details will be in the announcements, and you can bring a covered dish, a $15 white elephant gift, you know, one of those things you got last year that you don't like, or this year that you don't like, because you'll have four days to figure that out. Um, but please put that on your calendar, and uh, she will be putting more information in the announcements. Okay, I think we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I didn't use the word beautiful because I understand it's going to rain all day. But that's okay. The Eagles don't play till 8 o'clock. So I can keep a raincoat on till then. It's all good. Dear Heavenly Father, be with those of us who come today with heavy hearts, with things on our mind, for those of us who are in recovery and, and working every day and being good at it. Guide them. Be with them. Those with mental health issues this time of year, Depression and sadness, is a, it just kind of rears its head. And we just pray that, God, you'll take care of those that are experiencing those feelings and those frustrations. Be with us as we come upon the Christmas season, and we know what Christmas stands for. It stands for Christ. And you took our sins so that we could be here today and worship you. All of these things, I pray 
and for Pastor Jack. In Jesus' name, amen. In the vast tapestry of life, some moments define us. Moments that echo through the corridors of time, yet, many of the things we fill our days with seem to fade away, lost in the sands of forgetfulness. It's a common narrative. The constant pursuit of success, accumulating possessions, and racing through life. It's easy to get caught up in the relentless ticking of the clock where we measure our days by tasks accomplished and goals achieved. But what if life is not meant to be measured by the passing of time, but by the sacred moments that shape our journey? God never intended for our life significance to be found in what we accumulate, but in the moments that make our hearts beat a little faster, that bring tears of joy or sorrow that leave an indelible mark on our souls. Moments when you are at a crossroads with a decision heavier than expected. Then like divine whispers through a moment of obedience to God's calling, your future is forever changed. Like moments in the lives of Joseph, a carpenter, Mary, a young woman, and shepherds, humble and overlooked. That pulled all of them from the confines of ordinary life to discover the extraordinary. Moments that may have seemed weighty at first glance, but carried the weight of divine purpose. These timeless stories hold within them for us, the keys to unlocking the significance of sacred moments. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad you like that you mentioned that song. That's a song Keith um, brought out. It's um, by Josh Baldwin and Bethel Church called um, uh, "My King Forever." It's a really good song. It'll stick in your head all day, right? You'll be singing it later. You'll be sitting there at halftime. Oh, praise! It's, which is a good thing. All right. Um, so, uh, tell us several announcements. One of the things: two weeks from today is what. Christmas Eve, and so we're going to have our normal church service in the morning. That'll we'll, we'll have celebrate communion at that service, and then at night um, we'll have our family service, uh, and we'll we'll sing some songs, have some scriptures, and just have a good time. All right, um, and that'll be at seven, and then you can go on and and enjoy and uh, get home before Santa, right, and all that good stuff. All right, everybody feeling good? Got all your shopping done, right? All right, okay, just checking. I, I'm not the only one. All right, so we are in, um, we're in a series uh, that we just started last week called Sacred Moments, and, or, and basically we're looking at, at um, moments and, and how some of them can become sacred. Last night I said, um, last week I said, and it's in the first uh, thing on your bulletin, that life is not measured by time. Life is not measured by time. We spend so much time looking at our watches and all kinds of things. I left my watch today and I was like, oh, I felt like I went out of uh, the house without my pants on. You know what I mean? Because uh, we're so, so used to looking at our, our watch. Anybody ever left your watch or something? You're, you're constantly looking at your, your wrist. Um, I did that this morning. But life is not measured by time. Although we like to be incorporated and we feel like we got to run by time, it's measured by moments. So we have moments in life. And we, we started last week 
we're talking about some, some moments in life. We use Joseph, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, and, and added to that how, how Joseph, his most controversial, difficult moment in life became the most holy, sacred moment of his entire life and changed the world forever. So today we're going to be talking about the idea of surrender, and we're going to talk about somebody you know a lot about, um, Mary. Uh, and we're going to talk about her and her encounter with Gabriel. And, you know, during this Advent season, I believe that um, there's something that all of us may need to surrender. Um, maybe it's a relationship that we need to surrender um, or relationships. Maybe it's a new one that we're not quite sure about. Maybe it's an old one that has just damaged us or, or got a hold on us so much that we don't know what to do with it and we're so broken. Or maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe you're trying to figure out whether you should take it or not. Or maybe you're trying to figure out if you're going to stay or not. And maybe somebody else is, you're worried because you're hearing that they may, like I've heard several people lately, that they may not they may make that decision easy for a lot of people by downsizing and you don't know what to do and so you're you maybe you need to surrender that to god maybe it's just your future in general because maybe you're going to graduate in may or maybe you're going to even graduate in december and you're not quite sure what you're going to do and you're trying to figure that out and you need to surrender that to god maybe you have a a child or a relative that is wayward and or maybe you have someone in your who you love that has got into an addiction and you don't know what to do about it, you just need to do the hardest thing that every parent and everybody who loves somebody needs to do is just to surrender them to God. Maybe you have the idea of being super, super stupid generous during this time of year, so generous that people think you are stupid, and you are going ahead and you're trying to, to give, and you just want to surrender that lifestyle generosity to God. Whatever it is, um, what does surrender look like? Because when I think of surrender, I think of several different things. Number one, the first thing, I, I think of my cartoons as a kid with the white flag. Anybody remember those? Like uh, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoons, particularly Wile E. Coyote. He would always give up at the end. Um, and I, I thought about that. Or I think about hands in the air, I give up. Or like when Jill and I were younger and we'd fight, I like pro wrestling, and we'd fight, and I'd make her give the give up single. I give up. I surrender. She had to do that, right? Remember? I wouldn't let go until she, I give up. I was like, yes, I made her do it, right? Um, and so I think, I think of those kind of things. But essentially, that's what we think of when we think of surrender. We think of giving up. And often when we think of giving up, we think of that as something negative. I do. I'm somebody who's like, when I start something, I always want to finish it. I always want to finish it. Whether I hate it or not, I want to finish. I want to keep going because that's just a, a character trait that I like to, to do about myself. But when, I, when we think of giving up, we think of, oh, you quit, you know, we kind of put those synonymously. And so, but so I heard someone give a great uh, quote, and they said, surrender isn't giving up, it's letting go. Surrender isn't giving up, it's letting go. And, you know, no matter what God has called you into, I can tell you one thing I've learned over time, and that is this. Surrender is not just a moment in time, it's moments all the time. I it's daily, it's weekly, it's monthly, it's moment by moment that something comes in your life and you have to surrender it to God. You have to continually surrender to God, different things. I just, there was a, a couple who had two small boys and they were ages 8 and 10. And let's say they were a little bit ornery. They were very mischievous. They were into everything. And they were always getting into trouble. And their parents could know that if there's something going on in the town, they would soon get a phone call that was one or both of their boys. And the parents didn't know what to do anymore. But they had heard about a, a pastor in town who had some success in really helping discipline children in certain areas. So they contacted him and said, hey, you know, um, 
we want to know it, what to do. And he said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you bring them here? I'll meet with them, and, you know, we'll, we'll figure out what goes on there. So he sat down with them and was very quiet at first. He walked in, and they were sitting there. And the boys, they didn't like quiet. And all of a sudden, he looks at the boys. He goes, where is God? They didn't say a word. He waited a little bit more. And he turned and he said, folded his arms and said, where is God? Boys kind of looked quizzical. He said, got closer and said, I said, where is God? Getting a little nervous now. He said, what, where's God? And they jumped up. They ran home. They hid under the bed. And their parents are like, what is going on? They went in. They went in and knocked on the door. They wouldn't answer. They had to pry the door open. Went in. They're underneath the bed just shivering and shaking. And he goes, what in the world happened? He said, we are in trouble now. Someone stole God and they think it's us. <laughs> right? So surrender, right? They had to surrender. They didn't know what they were surrendering to. But anyway, hopefully nobody steals God from you this, this uh, Christmas that he's very much present and you aren't hiding. But anyway, um, as I said last week, life is not measured by time. It's measured by moments. It's, I, as, I met, as I said before, when I've done funerals, I never ask people for, the only thing I do chronologically, the only dates and times that we really go about is I'll go through when they were born, I'll go through when, what year they graduated high school, when they got married, okay, that's the dates, and when they died. Or, you know, I don't even go to the birth of their children. I go to those specific dates. Uh, just uh, in all of someone's life, there's only four or five dates that I ever go after. What I spend most of the, uh, the uh, service of life doing, celebration life, is talking about the moments in their lives. And so, so often we're driven by time that we don't stop to recognize it's the moments that are more important than we have. Um, and so life is not about time. It's uh, measured in moments. And they're holy and sacred moments that we have. And I was just thinking about some moments of surrender in my life. They could be big ones like when, as a preacher's kid, um, I felt a call to ministry. And I finally said, all right, Lord, you know, uh, we'll go ahead and we'll do this. And it was interesting how that happened. I was planning on going, working someplace for several years, then second career, going to seminary on the side, then going in uh, to ministry. God had different plans. I learned about corporate downsizing for my job after a, uh, not even a year. And I learned about corporate downsizing, and then God thrust me into um, to ministry. You know, you know where, where sometimes when you're low and you don't know where to go, that's the easiest place to, to answer God's call. He says, all right, let's go. And that's biblical in many cases. Remember Jonah? Um, Swallowed by a great fish, vomited on the beach. He had nowhere else to go, right? Uh, he said, I'm, God's going to get me there some way. Or maybe it was at times that I had to surrender when um, Melissa was pregnant with our firstborn, Jacob, and he had a very, very high-risk pregnancy. I know a couple of you remember those days. And, he, um, and you know, uh, several weeks before he was born, uh, she was hemorrhaging. And, and they said, you won't go home without a baby. And he, we were concerned um, that he would even make it. And then we went home without a baby. And then... A couple more weeks later, here we go again, going to the hospital and, and having that. And then he's born, and then I took the ride with him up to Christiana to the NICU and sat there with him and then brought him back, and, and he's, he's fine. But I remember standing outside because when the first time Melissa was hemorrhaging, she was laying in the bathroom floor, and we were waiting for an, an ambulance. And it happened to be the, uh, the fireman's carnival 
uh, the, not the fireman's carnival, but the fireman's celebration down at the beach that they always have, um, that convention. So the numbers were very few, and we were waiting. I remember standing outside in my, um, in my uh, driveway just telling God all the promises that he was going to do through Jacob. And I had to let go and trust him because I realized, you know, I always thought you get pregnant. If there's issues, doctors fix it, and then you're good. I learned that you're along for the ride, you know, for many, many of those cases. Or it could have been um, as my kids got older, which is one of the hardest things. And, uh, you know, as when kids are little, you know, they're easy to take care of for the most part, right? You can pick them up and you can make them do, like we can put them in prison. We call it a playpen. Um, or we, or we put, I remember when Jacob started getting bigger, don't, don't judge my parenting, I have five, but anyway, I put, um, we put, he wanted to climb, he got climbing out over the, the gate, so I put two or three of them up there, he was locked in, you know, um, and we, we do that, but when they get older, one of the things, one, I think one of the biggest things to recognize as a parent is you can't protect your children, and you have to surrender them to God, right? That's a hard thing to come to a point in, in that realm. And, um, and you know, then, then it might be just things like before you have phones and GPS, uh, God, please help me get the way home. And you ride around a couple hours and then he leads you home. You get there somehow. Um, or it may be like, uh, oh, Lord, I did not study one bit. Please give me supernatural uh, knowledge on this test. And, and you're laughing because some of you have done it. I know some of you... I know some of you have put crosses on your test thinking that God's going to say, all right, my blood's on that test. And so is yours after all the red answers, right, that you get there. But anyway, you know, and, and there's several different times in life where it might have been something that seemed really simple and ridiculous, but God answers this incredible prayer. And then there may be something that's major, and God doesn't answer it the way I want. And yet in each of those things, one of the things we have to do is we have to do something that when we hear it, it sounds weak, but actually it's the strongest thing, and that's to surrender to God to surrender him. So this Christmas is easy. Um, if you have something that you need to surrender God, that you're, you're looking for God and you need prayer or you need something in your life, let's do it. Let's just really be honest and go ahead and say, all right, God, I'm going to surrender that to you. So in thinking about the story of Mary and the angel Gabriel, probably one of the most famous stories in all of history, correct? Um, I, you know, it's a familiar story, but I don't know if you've ever heard it this way, because I was looking at it a little bit different this week. I've never understood it fully in this context that I'm going to share for you. But um, I think if, if we look at this from the, cha- from the perspective of, of, of surrender, we can see how insane this uh, account really is. We've heard it many, many times. And even if you've not been to church, you've probably heard about Mary and the baby Jesus and some angel involved and, and something happened. And then she gave birth to Jesus in a barn. Um, but let's go ahead and let's look at Scripture. So if you're following along, um, you had the QR code that was up there, but also you, um, you have a paper one either way. Um, in front of you, there's, unless you're in the front row, um, there should be like a little QR code that you can get our app, and everything's there as well. So um, let's start. In Luke 1, 26, um, in the sixth month, everybody say six month. Six month. Everybody say six month. Hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, just a, a side note, Elizabeth is Mary's much, 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 much older cousin, and she is the mother of, who becomes known as John the Baptist, all right? God sent an an, the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. So, here we have a couple different things going on. We have the mention of Elizabeth, so we'll get to her in a little bit. We have Mary, who we know, correct? And then we have Gabriel. Gabriel's this angel. Now, Gabriel shows up, and he's one of two angels 
that we know that are mentioned specifically in the scripture. The other one being Michael, who is a warrior archangel, and Gabriel, who is kind of like the messenger angel. And Gabriel shows up four times in scripture. He shows up first to Daniel, back in the Old Testament, then to Zechariah, who is Elizabeth's husband, who is a priest, and when, and, and ladies, this may be an answer to your prayer. Um, she, the angel said, hey, your wife Elizabeth, old years, she's going to have a kid. And Zechariah didn't believe it at first and said, okay, now you're going to be quiet the whole pregnancy. And some of you say, oh, I wish Gabriel had showed up at my house when I was pregnant. But anyway, so he's quiet. He's a priest and, um, and his wife is Elizabeth. Then Gabriel appears, as we're talking about today, with Mary. And he also appeared to Joseph, right? So that's four different times. In scripture. So God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, how many of you have heard of Nazareth? Not Pennsylvania, um, but Nazareth. This time of year, we talk a lot about Nazareth. Now, this is the first time in all scripture that Nazareth is really mentioned. And I always thought of Nazareth as this like bustling kind of you know, busy place, you know, that had, had merchants and all kinds of other things, lots of roads and everything else. But I did some, some study, and I found out that archaeologists have found that the entire village, and that's what it is, a village of Nazareth, was about 10 to 30 acres in total. Now, some of you may have more than Nazareth. Some of you may have half of a Nazareth. I don't know. But we're talking about 20 acres. Um, and so what does 20 acres mean? So I'm going to give you a good visual. As, as um, some may know and some may not care, um, tonight there's a very big game. It's in Dallas, Texas. And so it's at, it's at a stadium called AT&T Stadium, nicknamed the house that Jerry built. Okay? Now I'm going to show you a picture up here. Um, there it is right there. And, um, and it opened in 2009 and was the world's largest closed-dome stadium. That roof will retract and pull back. Um, it is... Uh, there are, there are two 72-foot by 160-foot HD screens. Um, it can seat up to 100,000 100, spectators. The entire complex is over 140 acres, and there's 73 acres for the stadium um, and at least, and 30-plus acres for parking, so there's over... 3 million square feet. So I'm going to show you the acreage, like kind of like laying it out. Okay, so that's, that's all that contained in there, that, um, that 140 uh, acres or whatever else. Now, so that's the stadium and, and the area there. Now, I want to show you what Nazareth would look like if we um, inlaid Nazareth. Go ahead. That's Nazareth. All right? So Nazareth, Nazareth would have been the side of a, a tailgate, right? You know what I mean? Like in a little portion of the parking lot. That's all the bigger Nazareth was. All right? You could pop Nazareth in the middle of the field and still have a lot of room around it. It's not very big at all. So I figured I would go ahead and show you that. So this is why when we get to later in John's gospel, in John 1:46, where you have Jesus calling disciples. He calls Philip. And Philip says, oh, oh, let me go get my buddy Nathaniel, who's also Bartholomew. So he goes ahead and grabs him. He says, hey, hey, guess what? You're not going to believe. He said, man, we found the one that Moses talked about, uh, the Messiah that we've been looking for. It's Jesus, uh, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And immediately, what was the response? Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I'm not going to mention any areas, but think of an area around here. Northeast, 
can anything good come from northeast? Ri rising sun? Uh, Elkton? <laughs> right? You, you're with me, right? This is, and they're, they're bigger size than Nazareth, right? It would be like if you said Frogtown, and you've been here for a while, if you know where Frogtown is, right? Um, and people are going, where's Frogtown? <laughs> See me after church, all right? Um, but what I'm saying is, it's a little podunked, not many people uh, live there. And actually, when um, archaeologists have, have excavated from the first century, they found like two or three houses in the whole area. It wasn't very big at all. And so when he says Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth. 20-acre Nazareth? There ain't nobody out in Nazareth. You got to be going to Nazareth to get to Nazareth. You don't just go by. You actually had to travel to Nazareth off the beaten path. Nobody wanted to go to Nazareth that much. Nazareth? All right. And so the point is, and I want to share this, that some of you may be in a position in your life where you feel like you're from Nazareth. That where you are, nothing good can come out of this. Because I've been to Nazareth. Because I got this, and that's my Nazareth. Nobody wants to use Nazareth here. And you may have that situation in your life that, you know, it's, it's, I got this broken background. I got this, no, but it's not where you're from. It's where you're going to. And all of a sudden, God is pulling you out of your Nazareth constantly pulling you out of your Nazareth. And you can think, wait, I don't have the looks. I don't have the education. I don't have the ability. I don't have the experience. I don't have the talent. I don't have anything. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. But guess what? It doesn't matter because God, you are the one that God is, wants to surrender so that you are the only person that can do what God has called you to do. So never doubt what God can do. And it's in this 20 acre piece of Nazareth where with about 200 people that live there and, and at its peak that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And here's what sa it says. So she comes to Mary, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now we talked about that. We talked about that it, it, she had been engaged and betrothed and it was official ceremony. They were waiting for marriage. And I challenge you to go back and look at last week. But one of the things that we discussed about last week is this. Remember, Mary was only about 13 to 15 years of age at this time. And she's, she's this young teenager from dumpy little 20-acre Nazareth. Maximum population, 200 people. Um, maybe 300 at the most. Um, that stadium held 100,000. That's a lot of Nazarites, right? Um, and so she's 15 years old. Dumpy little out in the woods, podunk, Nazareth. They didn't even really have a good water supply. They only had one little well, which still runs today. All right? And my mom took forever taking a picture that she made me drink about the whole well. Is anything else. But, um, and here, she's minding her own business. Not expecting to see many people, right? Maybe, you know, a couple people there. Hey, they're probably all related, you know. And all of a sudden, bam, the angel Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel says to her, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed. I don't blame her. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what this angel might mean. I want to tell you something. When God calls you, be ready to be confused and disturbed. And also something else that will come up and afraid because the angel says, don't be afraid. 
two things there. Now, what's really interesting about this is how many times did I say Gabriel appeared in the Bible? Remember? Four. Four times Gabriel appeared in the Bible. Two times before he appeared to Mary. And if you look, the Bible tells us when Daniel saw Gabriel and when Zechariah saw Gabriel, they shook with fear. These are grown men. Ah! Shaken. You with me? Mary says, hmm, wonder what this will be. Anybody weirded out by that? Like here's this 13 to 15-year-old girl minding her own business. All of a sudden, welcome, green, high-favored woman. She's like, oh, what's this about? That, that weirds me out. I don't know about you. Because these grown men are, are hiding somewhere, scared to death. And she's like, I wonder what type of greeting this might be. That's just, that's just very odd to me. And she was confused and disturbed. And what was she confused and disturbed by? She's, see, this tells you, men don't hear what they're saying, right? I think when they showed up, they were just like, ah, because it scared them. Where she's like, what is he saying? She, she's analyzing what he's saying. And all of a sudden, she's confused and disturbed by what he says. Greeting favored woman, the Lord is with you. So what's so bad about that? If, some, if an angel came to me and said, hey, Jack, what's up? The Lord is with you. I'd be like, that's pretty good. You know, if I, you know, if I was ready for the angel, I'd probably, ah, you know, go hide somewhere. But if they said, hey, favored Jack, favored guy, favored middle-aged dude, God's with you. I'd be like, yes, he is. Let's go, you know. I, it would be something good. I would just take it in and say, yes. But that's what you would want the angel to say to you, unless you don't believe it. Think about it, unless you don't believe it. Hey, Jack, like you're just in the middle of, of like just being exhausted and frustrated. And All of a sudden, Gabriel shows up and says, hey, Jack, the Lord's with you. I'm like, not today. Not feeling it. I'm not me. You got the wrong number. Go a couple houses down. There's another Jack there, right? You know, something like that. And so I think that Mary was kind of like, what, with me in Nazareth? Are you kidding me? Wait, what? Who's talking to me, an angel? I, she's trying to figure all this stuff out. And I think she was going back to, in Nazareth? God is coming to Nazareth. The angel is coming. Nope, not going to happen. You know, it makes sense that God came to Zechariah because he was in the temple, in Jerusalem, doing God's stuff, but not in Nazareth, not in Nazareth at all. So she's trying to figure, and sometimes what we find out is God calls you in moments where you don't feel like you're capable. And I would say most of the time when God calls you, you will feel like you're not capable to do what he calls you to do. But when God is calling you to do his work, you are the perfect person that God needs for the job. She's disturbed, and the angel says, hey, the Lord is with you. And every time in scripture you see an angel there's a, and there's a future reference. Hey, guess what? I want to tell you something. Good to see you. You're awesome. God's with you. Look out for the next reference. If God is with you, he's with you for a purpose. Right? And if you look through the scripture, it's not always easy. In Disciple, we were talking the other night about how, how we have this wrong theology in, in Americanized Christianity that you serve God and everything's hunky-dory and you just skip through the days and you're like, woo, life's great. That's not how it is. And it's not how it's ever been. When you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the, um, to the early church, all the way through church history, those who have stepped out for God have a lot of stuff coming their way. 
And it's no different. The thing is, you know, we, we can expect to be attacked because, and guess what? You know, some people might say, you know, if, if that's what Christianity is about, I don't want to be attacked. You're going to be attacked anyway. Why don't you, don't you want God with you in the attack? Because you're going to make it through. And that's the goal because we are passing through this whole kind of thing, this thing called life. And so the angel says, hey, fi- favorite man, favorite woman, the Lord is with you. Guess what? Buckle your seats because it's about to get crazy. Mary was disturbed because she knows whatever is about to happen is going to be really different. Because God has been silent at this point for 400 years. And guess what? Here's the other thing. It's going to get crazy, but you have to surrender. If God has found favor with you, if God sees you as blessed, if God is spending time to send an angel to talk to you, he has a task for you to do and to be with you, then you have to surrender to it. So if we look here, the angel says, hey, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, you know, when we're looking at this, this doesn't sound like a a good gift, does it? Oh, you found favor with God. Uh Uh-oh, what's coming down the pike? The term here, um, favor, is also the same word as we use for spiritual gifts, the word charis, where we get charismatic from, that, that God is favoring her. It's undeserved grace. And so we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, we talk about grace gifts. Gifts of grace. They're gifts that we don't deserve. And so what he's saying is, Mary, not every, nobody deserves this gift. Nobody deserves this blessing, this favor on you. But God has chosen you to receive it. What is that gift that you're going to get? Well, guess what? We're going to tell you in a second. So here's a cool biblical note I want to tell you. I found this really cool. The first time in the Old Testament that someone is described as having Founding favor in God's eyes. In the Old Testament is a guy named Noah. All right? Noah found favor in God's eyes, built a boat to ridicule because there was, they didn't know what rain was, didn't know what water was. They're like, what the heck are you doing? But when he, he built the ark, when the earth got flooded, he was able to save humanity through the ark. The first time in the New Testament that someone is described as finding favor with God, it's Mary. And Mary would carry the Lord that saved all humanity once and for all. Isn't that cool? Don't you love when God puts those little cool things in there? I think that's pretty awesome. So in verse 31, here's your gift, Mary. Woohoo! Here you go. You won this with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and his name will be, you will give him the name Jesus. Now, Mary's looking for clarity time here. Right away, Mary was confused and perplexed, right? A little bit afraid, but she was like, what in the world's going on here? And then it clicks in her. You don't think Mary knew Isaiah 7, 14, the virgin will conceive, she will give birth to a son, they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. For 400 years, they were, they were talking about this Messiah coming. Since the time of Malachi, God had been quiet. And she's like, oh, wow, God's going to do something big. That was the excitement. He's going to go ahead and, and, wow, look, this is pretty awesome. He's going to send a Messiah and a Savior. He's going to be born to a virgin. And he's going he's to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. So he's going to be right here with us. And this is amazing. And that's so cool that God's going to say, what? You, you know, she gives like her best rabbit. You talking to me, right? Wait, 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 wait what, what? This is, you, what, whoa, stop. Me? I'm just, I'm just 13, 14, 15 year old Mary from Nazareth. Did you take a wrong turn? There's another Mary down the road in, in Sephora. So it's a bigger place. Sure. Well, wait, 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 that's me. 
Verse 32, he says, hey, guess what? No, 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 listen. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him his throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. What, what's Gabriel saying? Gabriel's saying, hey, you know all these scriptures, but I'm gonna, you ask how it's going to happen. I'm going to remind you of growing up in, in synagogue school. Um, first, I'm going to tell you about what Isaiah promised. That's you. And, and then guess what? It, it says in Isaiah that in, in, in Psalm 89, he said that he, will he made a covenant with David that said, hey, I'll establish your throne forever, David. And guess what? You're marrying Joseph, whose great-great-great-grandmother was who? David. Yeah, see, in this school, God, and you're the one, Mary. Yeah, you're the one. And 400 years of silence go by since the prophet uh, Malachi. Just nothing but silence. Then Gabriel shows up first to Zechariah. Then six months later, how many months? Six months later, he goes to Mary. says, greetings, favored woman. Think about that, 400 years. Think about 400 years, somebody's supposed to come save you and your people, and nobody's showing up. Nobody's even calling. Nobody's even saying anything. I get irritated when somebody's supposed to show up four minutes late, and they don't call, and you can't get a hold of them. You ever tried to get a hold of somebody now when they won't answer? Like, I, mine usually responds, I don't know why I'm paying phone bills when nobody answers my phone. <laughs> Sound familiar? But they're there all the time on it. Right? Yeah, right. So they didn't show up for grandma and grandpa. They didn't show up, God didn't show up for great grandma and grandpa. Didn't show up for great, 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 great grandma and grandpa. Didn't show up for great, on and on, for 400 years. Didn't even show up. And then shows up on the scene in Nazareth to little teen Mary and says, Hey, what's up, your favorite? What's happening right now? You ever think about 400 years? 400 years. 1623. Anybody remember that? I tried to look up what went on, and there were names and people. I had no clue. I looked up ancestry in my family. They didn't do anything. You know the only thing I found out? I'll tell you, I found out that the second and third ships after the Mayflower came over. Yeah, that's a long time ago. I found out that William Shakespeare's wife died. That's about all I know from 1623. I'm sure it was an interesting year. A lot of battles, a lot of wars, a lot of other things like that. But 400 years. 1623 to now is the time that happened in there. So what's happening? This is happening right now. Mary asked the angel, whoa, whoa, stop, 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 stop. Now she's got clarity. Are, me? How's this going to happen? How's this happen? Because I'm Mary, you know, I'm, I'm Mary, the Virgin Mary. I'm not, I'm not, you know, whatever name is down the block. You know, I'm not that, I'm Mary. How's this going to happen? Gabriel says, oh, oh, just wait. Here you go. Um, Angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby be born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And at times, for me, whatever reason is, I just kind of stop the story there. Anybody else do that? Like, uh, after that, you know, I might even add to the point that Mary adds, like, oh, let it be to me, whatever you say. Okay, you're like, okay, good, woohoo. But there's more important part of the story here. It didn't stop there. 
He goes on, he says, here's what's more important. Uh, I want to give you this other tidbit. Oh, yeah, I told you what's going to happen to you, but listen to this. Elizabeth, your relative, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was what? Barren. They used to call her, she's, Elizabeth's barren. But she's conceived a son and is now in her what? Say it with me. Sixth month. Hold on to that. For the word of God will never fail. She's in her sixth month. She's in her sixth month. So let's continue on. Because there's something about Mary, pun fully intended. What do we know about Mary? Mary is highly favored. Mary is highly favored because the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. So that means Mary is what? Highly favored. Mary is not alone. How do we know Mary's not alone? Because Gabriel said, the Lord is with you. And she's blessed. How do we know? Because what did Gabriel said? You are blessed among women. She's blessed. She's receiving a blessing. She's spoken well of. And this happens several times in the rest of the chapter. So we've got Mary, who's minding her own business, getting ready for her marriage, thinking of wedding plans and, and all that kind of stuff. Gabriel shows up, tells her she's going to pre- be pregnant. Mary says, okay, now I figured this out. How's that going to happen? And Gabriel says, okay, I'll answer you, but the Holy Spirit's going to blah, 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 blah. And by the way, here's a tidbit. Old, 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 old Elizabeth, old Baron Elizabeth, old, old Baron Elizabeth, She's pregnant now in her sixth month. And Mary says, what? Yep. Toodaloo. That's it. That's it. Why in the world did he throw in Elizabeth? Like, if I'm married, I'd be like, I don't give a crap about Elizabeth. Elizabeth's up in the hill country. I don't give a hoot about that. You just told me I'm pregnant, and there's no reason I should be. Right? But why did he do that? Why is it important all of a sudden? Right after that, Mary responds. Notice that Mary's confused. She's scared. She's trying to figure out how this is going to happen. And then when he tells her the tidbit of Elizabeth, she says what? She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you say about me come true. And the angel left her. Remember how long Elizabeth's been pregnant for? How long? Six months. So let's go back to six months. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. Elizabeth and her cousin Zechariah, as the Bible puts it, are well advanced in years. Some of the sound of my voice may feel like you relate to that. I'm well advanced in years. What does that mean? Many scholars debate whether it's 60, if she's in her late 60s, maybe her 80s, but it doesn't matter. She's past the childbearing years. And Gabriel said, oh, yeah, the one that people called the barren one, she ain't now. She's not barren. She's in six months. Think about, and I know people, many over the years who've, who've struggled with infertility for years and years and years and dealt with it. And they've asked questions like, why do they, why do they have a child? Why does, a, why does a, a teen couple have that, and yet we've been married, and we have this, we have this house, and we want to have a kid? Why does it not happen? And some of you know people like that. Some of you may have experienced that themselves. Imagine, you know, the sting to Elizabeth of her life. Here she is, wanting to have a child. Her husband is a priest. Imagine the prayers that they had day in and day out to say, hey, give us a child, Lord. We'll, we'll dedicate them to you. They prayed for kids. They prayed for kids. They prayed for kids. And then he says, and my wife's the barren one. And now she's passed on the time of having kids. And then Gabriel shows up and says, guess what, Zechariah? Congrats. You're going to be a daddy. He says, excuse me. He's like, and we're going to shut you up to make Elizabeth's pregnancy that much better. It's crazy, and it happened. So why six months later? 
ladies, if you're six months pregnant, do people know usually? Hey, you got that little going on. Some of us have it anyway, right? Um, but you got that little little pregnancy bump going on, and that's, that's happened. So it's a key point for Mary here because Mary begins to see how blessed she is because the story keeps going when Gabriel leaves. Look what happens. Mary, it says in this, in Luke, it says, how much? A few days later. How much? A few days later. Now keep that in your mind. Um, Mary hurried off to the hill country of Judea to the home where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. Now, something I've never seen before, and I actually tested this by looking at several things. Like, I'll watch Christmas movies or nativity movies and things like that. Anybody watch those? And every time they got Mary showing up to see Elizabeth, she's like, <laughs> right? Anybody ever recognize this? You're going to look now. You're going to be like, I'm going to check that movie out. She's very pregnant. That didn't happen in a few days. You with me? Mary's not showing not showing at all. Elizabeth is because it's six months to the time. Mary's not showing at all. And, and, and so a few days, she has no belly. She goes, she travels uh, to the hill country. She's been confused, been confused, been disturbed, a little freaked out. She says, what's happening? I'm from Nazareth. And they say, oh, by the way, oh, Baron Elizabeth is now pregnant. And Mary says, I, well, if she is, then that's got to work for me. Let's go ahead and see what's going on. So she leaves, and she goes. Why six months? Because God is so amazing, so loving, and so gracious to have Gabriel wait six months to come to Mary. He waited that six months to tell Mary so that Mary could go ahead and visit and see the goodness of God. So Mary goes ahead and says, okay, um, a seeing is a believing here, and I'm going to go. And she, she, she might not have believed in herself. But, I mean, I don't believe in me. I don't believe... God wants me, but man, if that's true about Elizabeth, let's go. So she, uh, she got it, goes up to see, and look at this. So a few days later, Mary heard to the hill country where Zechariah and Elizabeth lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, it's, it's cousin Mary here. And at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child left within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth went, woo! Everybody say that with me. Elizabeth went, all right, there you go. And it's claimed, Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and the child is blessed. And Mary said, excuse me, she didn't have any bump. It's a few days. She's walking in the house to see old Baron Elizabeth waddling out a little bit. And Elizabeth goes, oh, you're pregnant with a son of God. And she says, what? You see, God called her, and in Nazareth, she felt no way, no way, no how. I'm confused. How's this happen? You're in your Nazareth. God's calling you, and you're saying, no way, no how. You don't know. And God says, oh, yeah, well, look what, let me tell you what God's doing for this person. Go see him, and you're going to see immediately that God tells you the exact same thing. Because Elizabeth said the exact same thing that Gabriel did. Did you recognize that? Does it sound familiar, the same greeting? God has blessed you above all women. Woo, there you go. And she said, wait, I just heard this a few days earlier. Why? Because God wants to remind you again and again and again and again that you are favored. You are favored by God. That's why he sent Jesus in the first place, because he loves you and you're favored. Do you deserve it? Nope. Do I deserve it? No. <laughs> All right? But he loves you and you're favored. And then Mary's response is, why am I so, and then Elizabeth says, why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. You are blessed. Why is Mary blessed? Because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. If you're not, 
If you're feeling like you're favored by God, meaning that you're unconditionally loved by God, but you're not feeling blessed, maybe it's because you're not believing what God has said about you. Maybe it's because you're not believing that God has put a call in your life and you're too busy making excuses for not doing it. And he's saying, if you'll just believe me, then you'll receive the blessing. Mary would have never got Elizabeth's the, the extra word and the extra blessing from Elizabeth if she hadn't got out of Nazareth and gone up to the hilltop to see what God is doing with Elizabeth. So often we sit in Nazareth and go, Psh, can't be pregnant, not me, no way, that's not me, not, not, no. I'm from Nazareth, I get this, I'm just engaged, I'm going to just keep my head down, keep doing what I'm doing, and that, maybe it was just bad fish tonight, or no, you can make whatever excuse, but the fact is, when God calls you, you are the perfect and only person that he has for you, for that job, and you're favored, you don't deserve it, and neither do I, it's unconditional love, unconditional favoring, you know what it's called, it's called grace, it's called grace of God, and the grace of God, when we, when we go ahead and we embrace what God says about us, brings about the blessings of God. Brings about the entire blessings of God. Remember what Mary had said before. She responded, I am the Lord's servant. Some of your versions may say bondservant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. And it says, in this moment that Mary began to surrender, and I think the completeness of surrender occurred when she met Elizabeth and Gabriel, the message from Gabriel came out of her mouth. You know, it's interesting, the word for, for uh, servant is bond servant, or one who does the will of another, and it actually has a feminine uh, connotation, and it's actually the Greek word doula, and some of you who've had kids know that that's somebody who is a servant that assists in and birthing. So isn't it kind of cool in that context that that's the kind of servant she is? But what it actually means, servant in this time, actually means servant for lifetime. She said, Lord, I'm your servant for a lifetime. And I believe Mary needed to hear the encouragement from Gabriel. She says, look, you're going to have a baby. You're going to be, fu- uh, uh, be uh, fulfillment of all these prophecies. God has chosen you. Mary, how in the world? It couldn't be true. Gabriel, blah, 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 blah. Elizabeth's pregnant. Road trip, Mary says, to go see Elizabeth. And in this moment when she walks in the door, in that moment, a normal moment of walking in the door and saying, hey, cousin Elizabeth, and she responds to her, that moment became holy. It became sacred to that moment. That one moment of just visiting became something that was more. It was the moment that Mary said, I am chosen, and I'm called. Where is that for you? Where's your sacred moment in life where God is calling you, and you finally say, yeah, I'm highly favored, and I'm blessed, and I'm called by God, and, I'm gonna, and may I be his servant for a lifetime? It comes through surrender. It comes through surrender. You see, Mary's life was going to endure all sorts of trials and struggles by being highly favored and blessed. If she hadn't already done it in those two days, she had to break the news to Joseph. And what Scripture tells us, she stayed there for three months. So you can imagine three months, maybe starting to see, and Joseph's like, excuse me? She has to face, she went back to Nazareth after these three months of of spending time with Elizabeth. And you don't think two to 300 people started talking? That's why she was up with her cousin Elizabeth. Oh, I can't believe that. In 20 acres, two to 300 people, if you don't think that they are gossiping, you ain't been around the same people I am. 
Then she has to face this public ridicule. Then when she's nine months pregnant, we talked about this last week, Joseph says, guess what, honey? Get on this donkey, camel, whatever it is, and we're going to go to Bethlehem. It's only 100 miles. And we talked about what the journey was there. Then they get there. There's no place to stay. And guess what? Oh, time to have the baby. Oh, well, we'll find some place. Nope. Uh, I found a place, Mary. Where? A cave, a barn. Get me in there now. Oh, you know what I mean? I'm sure she was not a very happy camper. Then after a while, King Herod, the king who's ruling the area, says, hey, murder all those boys, two and younger. And so she has to pick up her family again and run to, to Egypt and stay down there for a while until the angels come to tell them uh, to come back. Then at 12 years old, in her caravan, she loses Jesus. I'm sure she's like, oh, my gosh, I lost the son of God. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've lost some kids before, but they ain't the sons of God, you know. And, and so, so she's probably like, oh, my gosh, let's go. They go back. They find him. He says, hey, I'm doing my father's business. And they said, okay, we'll write that down. And just like, get yourself back in there. And they go. And then as she's walking through life, and then she sees her son's ministry go from people, just it, people crowding around him and him doing amazing, miraculous things to a, a point where the religious leaders begin to hate him. And she knows it, and she sees it, and she sees what's going on. She sees the swell of, of hatred that's beginning to come up, and that it culminates in his arrest and his, his trials and his beating. And she sees her son bleeding, walking down the road with a cross on his back, falling under the weight of that. And then we know from John's gospel that she was right there at the bottom watching her baby, her son, on a cross, struggle to just breathe as his lungs begin to fill up with fluid and blood. She hears him give out a lot. She, she's sitting there when Jesus looks and says, hey, John, there's your mom, and mom, there's your son. And she sees him give a loud cry and give up his spirit. And then saw a, a soldier go ahead and plunge that sword in so that water and blood, which many people believe that it, it pierced his his lungs to fill up with fluid and his heart. And she sees him in all this. And then I'm sure Luke 2.35 comes to mind. A prophecy for this highly favored blessed woman that Simeon gave when he prayed that he would see the Lord at the temple. And they took Jesus to be dedicated. And he said, he'll be the cause of rising and falling. And, many. And, she, he, and then Simeon looks at her and says, and as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. You see, by being highly favored and blessed, it wasn't easy. It was painful. By being a servant for a lifetime to God, she had to realize it wasn't her boy, it wasn't her kid, but he was God's son for all humanity. And she was willing, Lord, let all that stuff be to me as you say. It's a lifestyle. It's a calling. The life of complete and continual surrender. And you know, as I know, that there is something in your life that you need to surrender to God. You have relationships. You have jobs. You have a future. You have a kid. You have a relative. You have something that you need to surrender to God. Sometimes we surrender and we pick it back up again. And we surrender and we pick it back up again. And we have to remind ourselves that surrender is not just a moment. It is moments all the time. You know, we say that Jesus is Lord, and that is the Greek term kyrios, which means supreme authority, 
controller, Lord. What does it mean to make Jesus our Lord? Technically, we don't make him Lord. He already is. But what we do, we just surrender to his lordship. We give up control. We say, take my life. Every single bit of it, the Nazareth parts, the Jerusalem parts, the good, the bad, the ugly, take it. I surrender to you. But how do we surrender? There's two areas as I wind down today. One is where many of us are good at, the partially surrendered life. Religious statistics show that in 2021, 63% of Americans identified as Christian. In 2019, 65%. In 2015, 75%. In 2014, 71. 2012, 78. In 2001, um, 81. And 1990, 85%. Many casual Christians are really Christian atheists. They believe in God, but they live as if he doesn't exist. There are people who believe in the Lord but don't trust him with everything. There are people who believe in the Lord yet still do what we want to do. People who believe in the Lord but we want to be in control. That's not surrender. And that's why we have, I think we rewrite the scripture so it's like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 from the PSV, the partially surrendered version. Trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Lean, lean on your own understanding in some of your ways. Acknowledge him and you can make your own path straight. That's how many of us have lived our lives. We have not surrendered. We've made him, we've made him Savior because we need it. But we don't surrender and make him Lord of our lives. He is Lord already. So just let him be the Lord of your life. But what Mary did and what we need to do is have the fully surrendered life. Mary's sacred moment, she committed to it. And she embraced what Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways. How many ways? In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. The, the word in Hebrew for acknowledge is yada. Everybody say yada. yada. Seinfeld fans, yada, 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 right? Acknowledge, acknowledge, acknowledge. Acknowledge, and it actually means to know. It is the same term as Adam knowing Eve. Intimacy. Some of us know about God. Some of us know about Mary. Some of us know about Joseph. Some of us know about the Christmas story. Some of us know about Jesus. But how many know him intimately? How do we know whether we know him intimately? It's a closeness where we say, may, may anything you say be to me exactly as you want it because I surrender my life. And so this day and right now, you may have never realized why in the world you're listening to this message. <clears throat> And every single, but the bottom line is every single one of us, God is calling you to surrender something. And I pray that today is the day that God says to you, hey, look, I got you. You know why? Because you're highly favored and you're blessed. And today can be your sacred moment. A moment of surrender in your life where today you say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you say. So I surrender. Today I surrender to the Lord God Almighty, and tomorrow I do it, and the next day, and the next, and every second, every day of my life, because I want to be a servant for a lifetime. Because what do we know? We know that surrender is not just a moment in time. It's moments all the time. 
And so we need to surrender to the Lord and tell him, okay, I surrender. And that's what Mary did. Amen? All right. Stand and let's just uh, go, Lord. We're going to receive um, God's tithe and our offerings in a bit. Um, and so um, I want to thank those who continually give. And I know um, that uh, Joanna was talking about how um, the giving of the angel tree and, and things like that. And it's just, uh, I'm, I, I've said several times, I'm always amazed at the heart of the people connected with this church who just love to give and serve the Lord. And, um, and I thank you for that. If you're visiting today, we just we want you to receive what God has for you. And just mainly, uh, I, just, I want you to um, ask the Lord, what is it in your life that you need to surrender to him? I say it all the time, and there, um, but I don't think you hear this much during the week, that there's people here who are willing to pray with you. You don't have that that much in the world when you leave here, do you? Maybe you do in your families, and that's an awesome thing. Maybe you do, but far and few between are there times where I say, oh, wow, I'm going to the grocery store because there's some people there who want to pray with me. They're praying over the prices of things. <laughs> um, but people just want to pray with you, to journey with you in life. I'm available afterwards to pray with you. Um, whatever it may be, we just want to do whatever it takes so that you can see that you are favored by God. And you're blessed by God. Sure, Mary's special in the way that, that she lived her life, but God has a plan and a purpose for your life and a calling for your life that you're perfect for. And right now, as I said that, some of you know what it is, and you started to go back to your Nazareth. I'm too old. Tell that to Elizabeth. I'm too young. Tell it to Mary. Everybody... Everybody the Lord calls has issues. You know why? Because they're human. And I look around the room, I see a lot of people with a lot of issues. <laughs> it's a happy thought today. But you know what? I see a lot of people who are highly favored and blessed. And some of you just need to see Elizabeth's belly and have her tell you, whoa. God's got you, and he's got something in store for you. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you today in this service. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your servant's heart in teaching us that surrender is not a weakness. It's not a quitting. It's an advancing, saying, all right. I've heard it said, it, it's a sign of victory as well. Like today when touchdowns are scored by the right team, God, I will raise my hands. Yes. And so, how many of us are on your team saying, yes, yes, God, you have the victory? Or when little kids need picked up because they're tired or because they just need a higher perspective from the world that they have, we're those little kids just raising our hands up to you now, God. Pick us up, Daddy. Lift us up. Lift us up. But you know what else is a sign of? 
I surrender. The God with our hands lifted up. And we say, I surrender every part of my life to you. May it be to me as you say. Everything that works out. To, and I'm not going to expect all good. I'm going to just recognize that with the bad, I still have a calling. I'm still highly favored and blessed. Through it all, I'm highly favored and blessed. When those I love pass away, I'm highly favored and blessed. When I lose jobs, I am highly favored and blessed. When I'm in an argument with somebody I love dearly, I got problems in my relationship, I am highly favored and blessed because my daddy's there to pick me up. So God, during this time, let us just worship you. Focus on you. May not Gabriel appear to us in this time, but will your Holy Spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian. 
the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans roar your greatness, so will I. For if everything exists to lift you high, so will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sun If you gladly choose surrender, so will I. I hope that you have a great week and the Lord and just recognize you are highly favored and blessed. Amen. Have a great week. God bless.